It's been one of the craziest weeks, but it's been also one of the best weeks. Um, this is our VBS week, so we had, um, I think, our total of kids who actually walked through our doors over the last um, Wednesday through Friday was almost 70. Um, so that was a huge praise. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, and 20 of those were 20 of those were just brand new faces that we hadn't had the chance to meet yet. So that was really amazing. Um, and all week we just spent time with them, teaching them ways that we can power up with God and through our relationship with God. Um, and then use that power to affect other people in our lives and help them to also power up with God. So I want to kind of share that with you guys today as well, because I don't think that message only applies to kids. So we're going to get right into it. So a woman was walking past her bathroom one night, and she noticed her husband was weighing himself on the scales, and he was sucking in his stomach. And so she's like, he doesn't really think that that's going to make him weigh any less, does he? That's ridiculous. And so she shouts, you know that's not going to help, right? Right. And he smirks back at her and he says, how else am I supposed to see the numbers? <laughs> yeah, how else? I can, I, I, I can feel that right now, right? <laughs> My pregnant belly, I, I can relate. Um, but every January, you know, roughly half of us in America, we make big resolutions, right? Have any of you guys ever made New Year's re- resolutions? Yeah, and so we make these big plans to either lose weight or stop smoking or get exercise, join clubs, build relationships, do whatever it is that we've been wanting to do for so, so long. We just haven't really had the determination to do. Um, And so we get really determinated, and we start joining that fitness center or that 12-step program, or we join the book club, and we go try to meet people. But 97% of us, by June, July, we've already given up, right? Has anybody ever been there? I've been there. I've given up on resolutions about summer hits, and I'm like, I need that ice cream. I'm done. It's hot. I need that ice cream. But we've given up, and we just remain completely unchanged until the next year rolls around. And what's even more disheartening is I think that rolls into some people's Christian faith. Right, And so I'm going to kind of blow your minds here a little bit. I think there's a vast majority of people who claim to follow Christ, but their lives show very little difference from those who don't claim to follow Christ. Right, And so the most recent incident I've seen of this was with a news story that I saw with the new season of The Bachelorette where she was talking in regards to premarital sex. She said, I can do anything. I can do whatever I want. I sin daily and Jesus still loves me. Right, And so it's that mindset where we can do whatever we want, we can say whatever we want because we know Jesus is going to forgive us and love us, right? And so that, and that mindset is growing so popular that the world doesn't even think that's strange anymore when a Christian who claims to follow Christ still lives like the world, right? They just say, oh, that's just a Christian for you, or they're so relatable, right? There's these different words and terms that they use to justify that that's okay. And church, I'm going to tell you that's not okay. We're not called to live like the world if we've been called to follow Christ. And so we're going to talk about that today. You know, people aren't supposed to get drunk like the world when they're saying they're following Christ or, or do whatever it is that they want to do. And I guarantee you there's people in this room that that affects, that there are still some of us who are stuck in these habits that were deeply rooted in our past that even years into our Christian faith have kind of carried over and we still stumble through them and we still have to face those and we haven't fully given those up to God yet. And so what is keeping us from being changed? What's really missing? And the reality, guys, is that life is hard, Right? And it doesn't get any easier just because we choose to follow Christ. It doesn't get to where we can just make the right decision and we stay on that straight path and nothing else tempts us anymore. We still have that temptation. Um, and that's when the devil creeps in and comes in with those lies that says, you know, your, your old habits, those were way more fun. Those old habits, they were a lot easier. Those old habits, they were more satisfying. So you should just go back to those, right? Jesus will forgive you. It's okay. Just go back to those. And but... I want you guys to know that that's when we really have to remember who Jesus is and remember that we have 
an identity in Christ as children of the one true king. And we have power within us that is going to help us overcome those obstacles if we can actually make the decision to give them up, right? And so we're going to learn today about that tangible power that is in the name of Jesus. In today's passage, Peter and John heal a crippled man in the name of Jesus Christ. And through this story, we get to see what happens when one person really allows themselves to be truly changed by God. When we allow ourselves to be truly changed by God, it can change all of history. It can change an entire worldview. And that's something I want to share with you guys today. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 3. I'll give you guys just a second to turn there. Acts chapter 3. We're going to be in the very first section, verses 1 through 10. It says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, look at us. And so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, and then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So the first thing we see here is that an amazing transformation has taken place in Peter and John themselves here in this passage. They have finally become bold men of prayer. And so let's read verse 1 again. It says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, Peter and John, they don't really have the best track record with prayer, right? They could not even keep themselves awake for it most of the time, right? And so we see that they actually prioritized it now, that they longed for that prayer right now. And they were making that time intentionally to be in prayer with Jesus. And so they finally understood that it was through prayer in which they could still be in the presence of Jesus, But that that time didn't only give them that relationship with Jesus that they wanted. It gave them the power they needed to be able to do what he has asked of them. And so the more they prayed, the more strength they got, the more courage they got, the more wisdom they received. And they no longer cowered in fear of the temple just because of threats of persecution. They boldly walked in at three in the afternoon and said, I'm making time for this. I want to be with my Lord and Savior. So I'm going to prioritize this because it was the house of God and they wanted to be in his presence. In verse 2, it says, Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Now, we don't really get a whole lot of, like, historical background on who this man was. Um, We do know that he has a long history of being carried to this very gate. Um, The gate called Beautiful was everyone's favorite entrance to the temple, actually. It was most likely fully sheathed in bronze, and it was the most beautiful um, gate. That's why it was called the gate called Beautiful. Um, And because of its popularity, it was the ideal entrance for this man to sit because it attracted the largest crowds and gave him the biggest chance to get money to survive the night. And so we know this man has been crippled since birth, and the chances of him ever having a family or marrying was slim to none. He had no way to support a family. He wasn't able to get a job. He didn't have access to a lot of the aid that we have now. So there were no wheelchairs. There were no parking spots. There were no, like, um, elevators, and there were no companies or people who wanted to provide special needs to the people so that he could work. There was nobody who was willing to do that back then. And so he firmly believed that he didn't have any other destiny than to just sit there for his whole life 
and collect money every day just to survive until the next day. And so he had this hopeless mindset that things would never get any easier. All he could do was just sit there and throw himself at the mercy of God and his people every single day and hope um, that one day things turned around for him. But he felt like he was going to be forever isolated, forever ignored, and forever abandoned. And so what actually happens to this man? Let's dive back into verse 3. It says, When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. My sister Jennifer, she used to work for a homeless ministry in St. Louis um, during my high school year. She was in college at the time. And I got to go be a part of that one Sunday, I remember, very vividly. And I came from a very small town. There were like 200 of us that lived in this town. And so everybody knew everybody. There were cornfields for miles. Like city was exciting to me. And homeless people getting to like minister to them, that was exciting to me. And I remember going, and I remember having that excitement, and then I was put in the moment, and I see all these people who look a lot different than I look, and they're acting a lot different than I act, and they're kind of scary. And so I remember just instead of feeling like I wanted to be intentionally making eye contact with them, I was intentionally like hiding from them. Like that was my, inten- my initial gut response. And I think some of us have that. Is if somebody's sitting on the corner, we... We try to avoid eye contact, right? I think we're all guilty of that at times. And I had that. And so my, for me to see that Peter and John were very intentional at their first response, like that was their initial response, was to say, hey, look at us. That blows my mind because that was not my initial response the first time I had that experience. But they knew that God had a bigger plan than what their fears might have been or what their judgments might have been. And so they yelled, look at us, and only did then did this man finally turn and actually make eye contact with them. He was probably having one of those like Robert De Niro mirror moments like, wait, are you talking to me? Like, wait, you're talking to me? Like that probably shocked him. He was most likely used to people just maybe throwing money and not making eye contact or trying to have any kind of conversation with him because he, he was unclean to a lot of people that were going into the temple. And so they didn't care about him. They didn't want to make that eye contact with him. And to have Peter and John actually do that and be intentional with that was mind-blowing for him. And so finally, he was just like, someone isn't ignoring me. Someone's going to be able to help me. But he was expecting to get money from them. Initially, that's what he wanted. That's what he was expecting to get from them. And a sweet friend um, shared a sermon of Stephen Furtick. Do you guys know who he is? He's a pretty, pretty popular passage, or pastor. They shared a sermon with me um, this past week that he did. And within it, he said, God's purpose will always overrule human intentions. And I thought that was so good. I'm going to say that again. It says, God's purpose will always overrule human intentions. This crippled man's only intention was to collect enough money to get through the night, just so he could come back to the gate tomorrow and relive that whole story all over again. But friends, God had a much bigger purpose for him. They had a much bigger plan for him. And God knew money wouldn't solve this man's problem. He'd be right back at that gate the next day, still with that same broken mindset And so he and Peter, they wanted to fix the root of this man's problem so that real change could happen in his life and then in the lives of those around him. And Peter knew only Jesus Christ had the power to make that happen. So Peter does something the man never expected. He says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. I mean, my initial response would be like, yeah, right. (laughs) That's really funny. Like, that's hilarious. But we learn a couple of things from Peter here first. First, Peter had compassion for this man. A lot of people going by him did not have any compassion for him. They were Jesus followers, but they didn't care. 
They were going into the temple, but they didn't want to make that intentional time to invest in him. A lot of people back then invested in people who could give them something in return or better their family or, or be a good investment. And this man was only a liability. He, didn't have, he couldn't work. He couldn't do anything or provide anything for them. And even knowing that, Peter still embraced him and made him feel worthy. And I think that's the first lesson we can take away from this is that we may have different opinions, we may have different judgments about people, but investing in them and still making them feel worthy, we know God is going to love them and we know God has a bigger plan than what our, our human minds and brains can think sometimes. So that was something, having compassion is something that Peter had that most people didn't. And instead of wanting something from that interaction, Peter just freely gave something. And I think that's an encouragement to all of us. And second, Peter had faith, not just in Jesus, but in his name. He had faith in the name of Jesus. And even though Peter didn't have any money, he still found a way to offer him something and give him something. He gave him Jesus. He believed that with every fiber of his being, that Jesus could fully heal heal this man and make him walk. That he could restore his life and change his defeated way of thinking. When Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk, he was acting on behalf of Jesus as his servant. Peter had been baptized into the name of Christ and he received the Holy Spirit. So it was through that power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus worked miracles through him. And more than anything, Jesus wanted Peter to put his faith in God while Jesus was here on the earth. But that whole time, Peter wrestled with a lot of unbelief. And I think we all wrestle with that at times. But now we see strong evidence that Peter has finally fully transformed. Right? And so Peter is finally transformed. He's become that man of faith who can say with conviction, in the name of Jesus Christ, you're going to walk. And that's huge. Jesus, to every true believer, gives the ability to be changed from the inside out and pass on grace and healing to other people. He works within you so that you can then become a vessel of his goodness in the lives of those around you. And so when you are saved, Jesus reworked you internally so that you can make an impact for him outwardly, right? But church, we have to actually let Jesus in. We have to actually give up all those things that we're clinging to and let him take them from us and make those necessary changes. In this passage, Peter invited Jesus into this moment with this man, and he knew the immense, tangible power the name of Jesus Christ holds. Philippians 2.10-11 tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's something really unique and really special about the name of Jesus. This is encouraging because even though we know Jesus healed while he was physically here on earth, some people question whether he can from heaven because he's not physically here. But church, I really believe that Jesus Christ can heal. And he still can heal today. And I firmly believe that because we know he's still alive and he's still sovereign and he's still reigning and has complete control. And we can still be in his presence through prayer and through calling on his name, and he can still answer us and hear us. And I thank God for that. And now comes the critical turning point here with Peter and John. Let's take a look at verses 7 and 8. It says, Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, he began to walk, and then he went with him into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. The miracle just happened. And the reason I say this is a critical turning point is because Peter and John and the crippled man now had to actually act on their faith. They couldn't just have faith. They had to actually act on that faith. James 2, 17 says, Faith that is not accompanied by action is dead. 
If they didn't act on their faith, they would have missed this incredible opportunity. The man might not have even ever been healed. We don't know. Peter reached out to the man. He helped him up. And amazingly, his feet and ankles were strengthened, so much so that he could jump and walk and praise God instantly. But I don't know if that would have happened if they had just sat there and hoped that maybe God helped him up himself. Like, they had to actually act out on their faith. He reached out his hand. He helped this man up and said, you're going to trust in God, right? And the man said, yes, I'm going to. I'm going to give this a try. And so they stood up, and he was healed because of that. Verses 9 through 10 tell us, When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit, begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, this was the first time that this crippled man was able to enter the temple because those with crippled disabilities, they weren't allowed inside. They were considered unclean. And so this man could have just walked away feeling rejected by the temple. He could have just gone back into his old way of thinking. But did he do that? No, he strictly set his eyes on that temple, on that relationship with God. His first thing that he wanted to do when he was able to walk wasn't to go get a snow cone. Like he wanted to go into the temple and say thank you. And praise God for that healing. He didn't turn his back on God and just walk back into his old ways. He set his face towards God. Because of this, everyone who saw his transformation was filled with wonder and amazement and wanted that for themselves. And that's the power that we have, church, if we allow ourselves to fully be changed. The result of this man's healing wasn't the healing itself. It was that God was worshipped through it. The ultimate goal was not for this man to be healed. That was the cause, not actually the effect. God's purpose all along was to amplify his glory to those who witnessed that healing. And this happened because of that man's attitude, because that man was faithful after his healing and went to the church and praised God and let the whole world know, hey, I'm healed. God did this. You should come experience it too. And so we can come into this church all we want to and say we're changed, but if we're going out into the world and not showing that change... That's where the problem lies. That's where we aren't letting ourselves fully be healed. That's where we're not making the impact that we could be making in our everyday lives, even through little things. A miracle can happen right in front of us or even to us, but if our attitude isn't right, if our relationship with God isn't right, we're going to miss the entire thing. We're going to miss the change that God has in store for us completely, and that's sad because that happens really often. Because sin entered the world, people are suffering and sick and struggling. Romans 8 says all creation is groaning. We are battling what seems like this never-ending cycle of sin and guilt and then repeat. We sin, we feel guilty, we ask for forgiveness, we repeat. But we're given a promise straight from God that the ministry of Jesus would do two things. It says in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. God promised us that Jesus' ministry would forgive our sins spiritually and heal us physically. And we can use that to then go out and change the world. Jesus acted out of his own generosity, tailoring that gift of grace and salvation specifically to who you are. Specifically to who you are. Not the person next to you, to who you are. And this change... This change bring, that, that that grace brings is not going to be hard on us if we fully give ourselves to it. It's built within who we are. That's who God always created us to be. A caterpillar doesn't get to go and vote on whether it wants to become a turtle, a butterfly, or a turtle, right? 
It doesn't get to try on all the different cocoons and see which one fits it best, right? And in the same way, we as Christians are built within our very beings to be changed from the inside out, and Jesus has already equipped us to experience the abundant life of glorifying God in all that we do. That's already who we, it's already within us. That's who we were created to be, but we miss it. And so I challenge you to think of an area in your life where you struggle and repeatedly feel, repeatedly fail. So I want you to take a minute, just briefly, just think of something that you feel like you are constantly struggling with, you just can't get past. And I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, God's not done with me yet. God's not done with me yet. I'm still transforming. God is not looking for an incredible person to use for his good. He's looking for a credible person. I'm going to say that again. God is not looking for an incredible person to use for his good. He's using for a, looking for a credible person. He is looking for someone with strong faith and character, and that's non-negotiable if you want to live a life that truly represents Christ. You have to have those two things. It's the power source that allows us to break through obstacles in our lives and make the right choices and to overcome those deeply rooted sins that we are always falling back into so that we can grow into better reflections of God's glory. That's our ultimate goal. So every challenge we face has the potential to either tear us down or power us up. There is no middle ground. It's one or the other. And when we face hard times, it's the depth of our relationship with God that enables us to not only face storms, but then to also turn them into strengths, right? God didn't heal you just so you could go back to your unhealthy way of thinking and those unhealthy habits that broke you in the first place. He didn't do that. Don't just turn back and run to what's familiar. Run to God. Follow the lead of the crippled man and set your eyes strictly to God. Because that's where the real change comes from. That's where the real growth comes from. That's the most important resource we have in life is our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where all of our power comes from. And the only reason Peter and John were even able to heal this man was because their will and God's will were completely in sync and they had that deeply rooted faith and relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why they could access that tangible power within the name of Jesus Christ and overcome this man's obstacle. So don't miss out on the opportunity to have that for yourselves. Don't miss out on the opportunity to have a deep, two-sided relationship with your Lord and Savior. Because he wants that. He's wanted that all along. It's been there this entire time just waiting. That's his desire for you, his heart for you, is to be with him and to love him and to honor him. And the good news is that here Jesus can meet you and he can heal you at any place, at any time, for any reason, regardless of your past or what you've done. And so his name holds the power to break away any chains that are holding you down today. So let that place and time, church, be here and now. Let that be here and now. I want to do a, just a quick altar call. And I want you guys to just invest in your relationship with Jesus Christ to figure out where you stand and to make the necessary changes and give up what needs to be given up so that you can have the power that has been given to you this entire time and actually use it and feel the joy and strength that comes from that. I want that for you guys. So if you don't have it, use this time here and now to come forward and ask for that. Call on Jesus' name and feel the power that comes from it.